Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning, Matthew chapter 7, and um, just kind of reorient you to where we are if you've kind of been in and out, or maybe you haven't been with us, or maybe you can't really see everybody, maybe you're new this morning. Um, we've been in a series called An Elevated Life, and we've spent, uh, like really back in September we started, so we spent quite a while going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And in classic preacher fashion, we have successfully taken what Jesus presumably said in one sitting and extended it over the course of two and a half months, okay? So that's, uh, that's kind of where we are and what we've done. Uh, but to, this morning, we're going to get to the conclusion of the sermon, and then uh, next week will be a special week. You'll hear more about that later, and then we'll transition into our Christmas stuff a couple weeks from now. But... Um, this morning, we're going to come to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount uh, and also the conclusion of our series. But to do that, I want to start by doing a recap of where we've been so far, okay? Because really, the conclusion of the sermon, uh, when we get to that point, we need to remember everything that's been said up to that point. So we're going to do um, a relatively brief recap of everything we've talked about for the last two and a half months. It'll be fine, okay? I think. Um, so back in September, we started uh, in Matthew chapter 5. We didn't start at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. We kind of actually started about halfway through. But where we started was with Jesus. Uh, and we looked at four, we spent four consecutive weeks looking at Jesus um, unpacking the Old Testament law. <clears throat> and more specifically, um, he, would, he would start his teaching with this phrase, uh, you have heard it said, and then he would insert some uh, element of the Old Testament law, uh, talked about a lot of different things, and he would come back and say, um, but I say to you. And so what Jesus was doing, he's not disconnecting himself from the Old Testament law, but he's taking the, the Old Testament law and he's, he's getting to the heart of it. Right? He's saying, he's going beyond the letter of the law, beyond the principle of the law, to get to the heart behind the law. Because listen, Jesus is always after your heart. Right? He's always after your heart. He has no interest in just a mere sort of verbal affirmation from you. He has no interest in uh, just behavior modification or uh, religious rule keeping. Right? Jesus is always after your heart. And so that's what he's doing in those, we did that four weeks. Right? We looked at what Jesus had to say about anger in relation to the Old Testament law. Right? That to be... Uh, that to hold unrighteous anger towards your brother or towards another is, is effectively to be guilty of premeditated murder. Right? That's Jesus' words, not mine. Okay? Uh, we looked at uh, the, the, the next Sunday, we spent a, a pretty heavy Sunday looking at Jesus' words on lust and divorce. Right? And what we said that week was that um, both lust and uh, divorce that, that is on the ground, like outside of biblical grounds for divorce, both lust and, and unbiblical divorce are uh, a, a, a separation from God's good design for sexual fidelity. And any deviation from God's good design for sexual fidelity is an act of adultery. So we talked about uh, that. Then we spent the next week, <clears throat> uh, Jacob and his immaculate beard were here, and my kids asked me what I wanted for Christmas this year. I told them a beard. I don't know if they're going to come through with that or not. Um, but anyways, 
neither here nor there. Back to the point. Jacob um, spent a, the, the third week of our series talking about um, oaths, right, or the, the words that we use. And, and the point was that as the people of God, <clears throat> we, should be, um, we should be so, we should, we should seek the truth and we should speak the truth. Right? Our, uh, we should be people of, of such integrity that our yes means yes and our no means no. And we don't need to add anything else to that because we are people who seek the truth and speak the truth. Right? Then the following week, Sean Edwards was here. Maybe you remember that. Um, he was here and talked about how we, as citizens of God's kingdom, relate to uh, one another. Specifically, uh, people that we don't always see eye to eye with. People that we don't always get along with. Right, Sean talked about how, as citizens of God's kingdom, we're not to retaliate. Um, we are to love our enemies and to pray for them. Right? And all that's rooted in the reality that, that if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, uh, you weren't always one. Right? Before Christ or apart from Christ, you were an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says, not me. And as an enemy of God, right, God moved towards you in the sending of His Son, Jesus and reconciled you to himself and that shapes the way that we should relate to those who we might consider to be enemies. Okay? So that was Matthew chapter 5 in a nutshell. Then we got to Matthew chapter 6 and the, it, it changed a little bit. Right? First, uh, Jesus goes from talking about the Old Testament law to he encourages the audience to look around at things that are going on around him. And he begins by telling them to Notice or look at the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious hypocrites is what he calls them. And he says, uh, hey, those, those guys, they practice their righteousness or their sort of uh, spiritual disciplines. They practice them um, really in order just to be seen by others. Right? And, and what Jesus would say is that uh, spirituality for show I mean, you, you may receive the, the reward of, of the applause and praise of men, but there's no reward from God if, if your only motivations in your spirituality are just to impress other people. Right? That was what Jesus said about that. And then from there, we looked at Jesus' uh, words on anxieties and doubts. And if you remember, Jesus told the audience there on the hillside that day, hey, look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field. Right? If God takes care of his creatures and his creation, then how much more will he take care of his children? Right? And then, so that ended Matthew chapter 6. That got us into Matthew chapter 7 where we uh, are currently. <clears throat> and, and we spent a couple weeks looking at uh, Jesus reminding us of our, our limitations. Specifically, we started with, with Jesus' warning to, to judge not. Right? And, and underneath that is Jesus teaching, hey, you're not omniscient, you're not omnipresent, you're not God, so you don't have the ability to pronounce ultimate judgment on another person's heart, on their motivations, on the condition of their soul. Jesus was not saying that we uh, suspend our abilities to discern. He's just saying that we don't get to pronounce ultimate judgment. That's God's job, and we're not God. Right? And the point of that was, was literally just that, that we should be as gracious towards others as we are towards ourselves, and we should be as critical of ourselves as we often are towards others. Right? That was kind of the heart behind Jesus' message there. And then um, 
A couple weeks ago, we were reminded of of our dependence on God by Jesus' invitation for us to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. We're a needy people. We're dependent on God to provide for us, and the invitation is for us to keep asking. And the reason we keep asking is because, according to Jesus, we have a heavenly Father who gives good gifts to His children. We keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking, and we keep trusting that even when we can't always see it, we, we trust in God's heart for his children. That whatever he, however he answers our prayers, whatever he allows to come our way, in, in some way it is for our good. Right? And then that brings us to last week. Last week we, we uh, talked about one of Jesus' several warnings at the end of Matthew chapter 7, and we looked at uh, the warning about false teachers. Right? Specifically, we talked about the importance of of us knowing the word, right, so that we might be able to, to sort of reject anything that's contrary to the word. Right? We talked about living in community with one another, that we might help strengthen and encourage and support one another so that, so that we don't fall victim to uh, these false teachers or false prophets that, that Jesus said are among you. Okay? So, everybody breathe. You're with me, right? We're still in it together. Okay, that was, I know it's kind of like drinking out of a fire hydrant, but we made it. All right, so here's what we're going to do this morning. Um, so there's your summary of all that Jesus has said up to this point, at least all that we've covered up to this point. Right? And, which brings us to the conclusion uh, here in Matthew chapter 7. And it's this point of the sermon where Jesus, all right, we're at the conclusion. And so Jesus' time of teaching and instruction is over. And now he's bringing his audience, and, and by extension, bringing us to a point of decision. Like, what are we going to do with what we've heard? Right? The, uh, the time for teaching, instruction is over. Now it's time for us to decide. So logistics, really quickly, and then we'll jump in. Um, we're going to look at verses 21 through 27. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in 24 through 27. All right? These are two sections in your Bible. Probably my Bible has it broken up into two sections. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in 24 through 27. Uh, But I do want to read 21 through 23 because we're going to jump back and look at that because there's some really important sort of contextual clues uh, that we're going to need to grab along the way. So, without further ado, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Not... Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So that is sobering, right? Should be. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's an important line. We're going to come back to that. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, will I, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Or as maybe your translation says, uh, depart from me, evildoers. All right, that brings us to verse 24. All right, notice the similar language to verse 21. 21 began with not everyone. Verse 24 begins with everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. 
will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So the parable is a familiar one. If you have a church background, you probably sang a song about it in VBS once upon a time. Uh, even if you haven't, you, you probably have at least heard the parable before. Uh, but, but to distill it down to its most basic elements, right? you've got two builders, you've got two houses, you've got two foundations, and you've got two very different end results. Right, and and right, Jesus being a brilliant master teacher, I mean, the, the parable is so straightforward. Like, it's so brilliant and simple that it's almost like to even try to explain it anymore just takes away from the power of it, right? But here we are. So I'm going to try to explain it, all right? Or at least point out a couple things that I want you to see from it. I, I, I think you already understand it, but uh, I want to point out a couple things here. So first, let's think, consider the, the two builders. All right, two builders. Uh, I, one of the things I want you to notice is that um, what distinguishes these two builders from one another is not ignorance. Right? It, the, the parable says that they both heard the same word. Right? It's not that the wise builder had information or was privy to insights that the foolish builder was not. They both heard the same word. So, so ignorance is not what distinguishes them. Right? What distinguishes these two builders is what they did with what they heard. Right? Their application of what they heard. Right? The wise builder heard the word right? and responded by applying it or doing it or putting it into action. And it was his application or his doing of the word that, that resulted in him building his house, really just a, a symbol of his life, building his life on a firm foundation. All right, then you've got the foolish builder. Right, and, and what happens with him is he hears the same word the wise builder heard, but it was his, his failure to apply, his failure to do, his failure to put into action that resulted in him building his life, his house, on a shaky foundation, on the, the sand. All right, now, here's, here's what happened the implication or kind of what we, we hear is really both houses stood at least for a while. Right? We can assume that, that while they stood, they were relatively indistinguishable from one another. Right? Because the difference between the two houses was not the houses themselves. Right? The difference between the houses is what they were built on. Right? To the, the casual passerby, like these houses would have looked very similar if not identical. Uh, but, but time and testing would prove that they are very, very different. Right? And so as the, the parable goes, the, the, uh, the houses both endured the, the same storm. Right? The, the rain fell on both. The uh, floods came to both. The wind blew 
on both. But, but after the storm, what remained it was very, very different in these two houses. Right? It, it revealed, it was the storm that revealed the foundational differences between these two houses uh, built by these two builders. The wise builder who heard the word, who did the word, his house, his life, endured the storm. Because right? it was built on a firm foundation. But the, the foolish builder who heard the word but refused to do the word, his house fell. And the, the text says it, it didn't just fall, like great was the fall of it. We're talking like massive destruction. This is not like brother was not calling Paul Davis to come restore some things. We're talking like total loss. Right? Like the images you've seen out of Western Kentucky or Eastern Kentucky with the storms, like that's the kind of fall we're talking about here. But what I want to do is put, take the parable and put some flesh on it, right? Because this is where it's going to intersect with, with us in the room here a little bit, right? Um, so I want you to remember both builders heard the word. So to bring this into sort of our contemporary context, Jesus here is not talking about, he's not distinguishing between those who sit in, in the worship service and hear the word preached every week and then those outside. Jesus is talking about two people that both heard the word. All right, so this is, this is significant. Right, Jesus here is talking about people who, if we're, again, contemporary context, probably sat in worship together, sat in a life group together, maybe sat in a D group together, Bible study together. They could give all the right answers to all the right questions. They knew how to use all the right words, all the right sort of Christian lingo. Right, maybe they even had portions of Scripture memorized. Right, this is... Remember, the, the two houses, by all accounts, looked similar or identical. So Jesus here, he's talking about people who, who from a, at a surface level, probably look very similar. Right? You would not be able to distinguish these people in, in a worship gathering on a Sunday morning. But, but where they differ, again, is not in whether or not they've heard the word, it's what they do with the word. Right? There are some who, 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 like the wise builder, hear the word, receive the word, and respond to the word by doing it. Right? Our word is obedience. Right? The response to hearing and receiving the word is obedience. That's the, that's the wise builder. But then there are some, right, where it, some, it's possible to hear the word, to know the word, to receive the word, to understand what the word requires you to do, and not actually do it. It's a very real danger. It's the danger that Jesus is warning against here. And, and you can deceive others for a while. Right? Like you can show up and go through the motions and sing all the songs and, and set through the sermon and take notes and know the word, know what it requires you to do. You can know all those things and not actually do it. And what Jesus says is, 
You can deceive others for a while. You can even deceive yourself for a while. James, in James 1, James, the half-brother of Jesus, same mom, different dad, okay? James, the the half-brother of Jesus, would say that, that you can hear the word, but without doing the word, it's possible to deceive yourself. You can deceive yourself. What kind of warning should that be? But what Jesus also says is, ultimately, there will be a storm that will reveal what you've really built your life on. There is a storm coming. Um, So let me talk about the storm for a second. There there are some different interpretations as to to what the storm is that Jesus is referring to here. There are some people that would say uh, Jesus is referring to the storms of life, uh, challenges, difficulties, circumstances that reveal what we've uh, really built our life on. And I think there's some merit to that, right? That there's a pretty consistent thread throughout the Bible that uh, it's oftentimes trials and tests uh, that will uh, reveal the genuineness of our faith, right? Suffering, struggles, those times often reveal what we've really built our life on, what we really put our hope in, okay? Right? But, but, but I would, what I would contend especially when you consider the context, is I think Jesus' storm that he's referring to here is more, uh, to use a fancy theological word, eschatological in nature. Specifically, I think he's talking about the end of time stuff. Judgment day stuff. And let me show you where I get that from so you don't think I'm just totally making this up out of thin air. Right? Look at verse 22. If you look back at 22, it's clear that when Jesus is teaching here in the context, he has a specific day in mind. Right? Verse 22, he says, On that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name, and then, I, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. Right? I'm convinced Jesus is talking about the day of judgment, right? the day when we will all stand before the Lord, give an account for our lives. Right? And, and on that day, the depths of every human heart will be exposed. Right? The, the foundation that you've built your life on will be laid bare. And according to Jesus, that day is going to be devastating for some. And that feels weighty. And it's supposed to. Right? Jesus' warning is that it's possible to deceive yourself into uh, believing the right things, saying the right things, knowing the right things, and thinking that that is sufficient. If I can just pass the test, fill in the blanks, then I'm good to go. Right? But saying and knowing are not sufficient. Back at verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Those who withstand the storm of Judgment Day 
will not be those who merely made a verbal profession. It will not be those who, who have a lot of knowledge, who have a lot of understanding. It will not be those that have Bible degrees on their wall. Right? Those who withstand the storm, the day of judgment, will be those who have fully submitted their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's evidenced by obedience. Not just saying the right things, not just knowing the right things, but doing the right things. Right? Luke, Luke's account of this story, he tells the same parable, very similar language, but he begins with a one-sentence statement that is much more pointed. Luke 6, 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And then he goes on into the parable of the two builders. Right? I, I had a pastor uh, when I lived in Virginia that told me once, uh, told the church once, he's like, listen, when, when the Lord tells you something, like, you don't get to say no. Right? Because if you say no, then he's not Lord. Right? No Lord is an oxymoron when Jesus makes demands of you. Right? So what Jesus is ultimately warning against here in this parable is a failure to submit to his lordship. Right? And let me explain what I mean by that. So, so we think Jesus Christ, think of him as Savior. Right? And he is. Right? He is the Savior of the world. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to kick off our... Christmas series and talk about Jesus coming as the promised Messiah, right? the one who came to save his people from their sins. That's who Jesus is. He is the Savior. He lived a perfect life, right? sinless life in perfect obedience to God the Father. He was crucified on the cross to pay the full penalty for, for the sins of all who would call in on his name. All right? And he rose from the grave to prove that he was more powerful than sin, death, hell, and the grave, to prove that his payment for the sins of the world was sufficient. Right? And, and to all who call on the name of Jesus, all who would confess their sin, confess their need for a Savior, would cry out to Jesus for salvation, Jesus is Savior. But there's more to the story than just Jesus as Savior. Because what Paul would say is that when you call out to Jesus as Savior, uh, he redeems you from your sin. He buys you back from the enemy. Well, you're bought with a price. And you're not your own anymore. So it's no longer you who call the shots. Right? So Jesus is Savior but he's also Lord. Right? And, and you don't, like those are inseparably connected. You don't get one without the other. Now I'm going to have the theme song of the Al Bundy show stuck in my head all afternoon. Right? You don't get one without the other. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is 
Lord. You don't get the benefits of Jesus as Savior without the demands of Jesus as Lord. And you look back at the passage, there are some who will come to Jesus on the last day and they're going to call him Lord. Lord, Lord, look at all this stuff that we've done. And we can assume that the, the foolish builder would be one of those who called out to Jesus as Lord. All right, but, but what is Jesus, how does Jesus refer to them? Look at back at verse, back at verse 23. He says, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness or, or evildoers, as some translations say. So they, they profess Jesus with their, with their mouths, with their lips, but their actions. Right? He says, no, you're evildoers. You're doing did not match your profession. Right? Apart from actual obedience to Jesus Christ as Lord, a mere profession of Jesus as Lord is nothing more than lip service. That's all it is. Right? And, and according to Jesus' teaching here, uh, lip service to Jesus doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. Right, look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right, so, so let me give you the warning as clear as I know how. It is possible to hear the word and never actually do anything with it. It is possible to receive the word, but never actually build your life on it. It is possible to have all the head knowledge. It's possible to know all the right answers. It's possible to use all the right words, but never actually submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. By living in obedience to the word. And where there is no obedience, then Jesus is not Lord. And where Jesus is not Lord, Jesus is not Savior. So, before we move to kind of a, a time of response, let me, let me keep the pendulum from swinging too far to the other side. Because what I don't want you to hear me saying is that you're saved by your obedience or because of your obedience. Right? That is not what I'm saying. Right? That would go against everything the Bible teaches. Right? The Bible says you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Right? It is not a result of your works. It's not a result of your doing. It's not a result of your obedience. Right? You're not saved by those things because, man, in, in the wickedness of our own hearts, if we could save ourselves by our own obedience, you know what that would mean? I mean, we'd be over here being like, look what I did. Look how good I am. Look how much I accomplished. Right? Look, how I, look how I got myself into the kingdom of God by my own bootstraps. And that's, that's contrary to the message of the Bible. So I'm not saying that you're saved by your obedience or because of your obedience. 
But what I am saying is that genuine faith in Jesus Christ as Savior always, always results in greater and greater obedience to Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, your obedience will never look perfect on this side of eternity. Okay, it, you, you're a sinful human being. Even after you submit your life to Jesus as Savior and Lord, your obedience will never be perfect on this side of eternity. Sometimes obedience is three steps forward and two steps back. Anybody have those seasons of life? Just me? Okay, perfect. All right? Your obedience will never be perfect. Sometimes, it's, sometimes our obedience is delayed we hes- because we hesitate to do what we know we ought to do. So I don't want you to hear that, I don't want you to hear one, that your obedience is what saves you. I don't want you to hear two, that your obedience has to be perfect or you're not saved. I'm not saying either one of those things. But what I am saying is that genuine faith in Jesus Christ will always result in a growing obedience to Jesus Christ. It will always result in a greater obedience to his word. Right? And obedience is the evidence of Genuine, saving faith. So I would just encourage you, think about your life. Especially if you call yourself a, a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Is that merely a verbal profession? Or as you look back on your life, you can say, no, there's, there's evidences of obedience. Not perfect obedience, Sometimes it was way slower than it should have been, but by God's grace, there's at least some obedience that I can hang my hat on. All right, that's actually kind of, we moved to a time of response this morning. That's, that's really just what I want you to think about. I want you to consider the life you're building. Is it built on increasing obedience to Jesus' word? Is it built on, is your profession of faith accompanied by evidence of actually doing the word? Or is it merely lip service? Is it, is it merely, uh, I walked forward at VBS when I was four, and so my mom tells me I'm a Christian, but I have no remembrance or knowledge of it. I have no track record of obedience. I don't even have a desire to obey. I'm just hanging on something that happened to me whenever I was four years old. Because where there is no evidence of obedience, there is no growing in obedience. There's just nothing for you to hang on to there. There's no evidence. And you can deceive yourself into believing that you're in good shape, only to find out on the last day, when the storm comes, that it was just words. It was just lip service. So, is Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord? That's the question for you this morning. So, I'm just going to trust that the Spirit of God will do the, the heavy lifting, 
bringing about conviction and repentance where necessary. Right? I, I can't do that. I can't twist your arm into anything. Right? But I'm asking the Spirit of God to, to reveal in your heart this morning, what are you building your life on? Where's your confidence at this morning? Is there evidence that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord this morning? So the band's going to come. They're going to sing a song of, of response. But here would, here's what I would just lay before you. Maybe you're here this morning and it's just kind of being revealed to you for the first time, maybe in this moment, that you've never actually placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Right, maybe you're just hanging your hat on something that happened years ago that you don't really remember that much about and you don't have any evidence of growth from that point. And if that's being revealed to you this morning, then I would encourage you, come to Jesus. Right? He's not going to be disappointed in you because you've deceived yourself all these years. Right? He's saying, come. Or maybe what I suspect might be more, the case for more of us this morning is as we hear these words from Jesus that we should be doers of the word, like put into practice what he says, I suspect for many of us, there's light bulbs going off. It's like, man, I need, to, I need to grow in obedience in this area. I need to grow in obedience in this area. I need to grow in obedience in this area. I mean, just consider the topics of, of Jesus' sermon. Right? Maybe say, I need, to, I need to grow in obedience when it comes to my anger. I need to grow in obedience when it comes to lust. I need to grow in obedience when it comes to... Uh, how I relate to and to, to, to those I disagree with, my enemies. Right, I need to grow in obedience when it comes to anxieties, trust in the Lord to provide. I mean, we could go on and on, right? But maybe there's areas where you just need to, to be honest with the Lord this morning and say, I have not been obedient here as I should, and repent of that. And ask the Spirit of God to help you walk in greater obedience in that area. So again, I'm, we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Spirit of God to lead us this morning. Um, but as we do that, as the band sings, if you would like to talk or pray with someone, I'll be down front. would love to do that. Uh, we can do that at the conclusion of the service this morning. But would you pray with me? We ask the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do. Father, I think um, it's good for the heaviness of your word to, to lay on us sometimes. Uh, like it's good for us to feel the weight of it. Um, so, Father, I pray right now. I ask that your spirit would lead us however you see fit. I even ask in this moment that where I have misspoken, or where I have not been clear, I pray that your, uh, your spirit would, would make up for my inadequacies. And Father, I pray that you would lead us in this room to, to respond as you would have us to respond. Maybe some need to put their faith and trust in you for the first time. Maybe you've planted a seed somewhere in the, the depths of a heart this morning, Lord, that Maybe there needs to be repentance 
I have no doubt there needs to be repentance in this room. Or areas where we know what you've called us to do and we've just refused to do it. Where we've refused to submit, surrender to your rightful lordship over our lives. Lord, would you convict us of those things and move us to, to greater obedience in those areas. So Father, I pray that you would work. I pray that your spirit would guide us, prompt us to respond as you would have us to respond. Give us the, the courage to do so. Lord, we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.